it is so, so apparent in this day and age. I was taking um, uh, a master's class, um, and it was on healing, and one of the pastors that was there, he was stupid enough to say to me that Jesus wasn't God until he went into Jordan and the Holy Spirit came upon him. Then he became God-man. But up to that point, he was just a man. Now, it was part of the teachings of um, his church uh, that until the Holy Spirit came, Jesus was just a man and he became God when, when the Holy Ghost came upon him. Well, apart from being blasphemous, it's the error of Essians, and um, it's totally false. Uh, but uh, it goes around, and you know what goes around comes around. And um, I was appalled. I mean, if you don't believe that uh, in the virgin birth, and you don't believe in uh, the sinlessness of Christ, and you don't believe in the divinity of Christ, you can't be a Christian. End of story. Uh, and that's it. Now, um, there are a lot of preachers who aren't Christians, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, it's appalling. The more I go around the world and listen to people, the more I'm convinced that there's so few people that actually believe what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. And if you don't believe what it teaches, and you don't take it for what it says, then as far as I'm concerned, forget it. Don't call yourself a Christian. You might be religious, but not Christian. And uh, I was appalled. And here's Paul writing to the, from prison to the Colossians, and he's saying, hey, uh, there's some things we need to get straight. And I want you to look at it from a point of view that Paul was correcting people. Now look, there's lots of things uh, that you've got to understand. Paul was writing to people who had Greek tradition, Greek philosophy, were steeped in Plato, were steeped in all kinds of ideas and notions that were way, way, way outside of Christianity. And what had happened is there'd come uh, this kind of Gnosticism and knowing where you all had your private revelation, you all had your own ideas, and you could mix Christianity and Christ with the Eastern religions, with philosophies, and everything was all muddled together. And Paul find there was Epaphras who had gone down and preached the gospel and, and the people came into an experience of belief but they were so mixed up and confused that he had to write an epistle to them to start telling them what was the basics of Christ and what they need to believe. And, and you know, the more I go on, and, and I've gone on and I, I always go on, you know, in the meetings, but the more I go on in life, um, 40 years, the church is going to um, uh, be 30 years old soon, you know, um, this, this November. We're going to have our 30th 
anniversary. The more I go on, though, the more I'm convinced that there's so few people that understand the gospel. Uh, I realize now that Gnosticism is alive and well amongst the charismatics. They've become brain dead. Uh, they think if they receive the Holy Spirit, they don't need to think anymore. But, you know, God wanted to give you a sound mind. And, and I, I believe in thinking people. Paul believed in thinking people. Uh, and we don't want to be zombies, and we don't want to swallow everything. Hey, there's lots of things that our culture teaches us are right that are wrong. Culture has nothing to do with Christ. Absolutely nothing to do with Christ. And so when Paul is writing to the Greeks, he's trying to attack the whole thought process in a Greek. Dualism, that's um, the power of good and evil fighting each other in the heavenlies, was part of their culture. They believed that there was a supreme being who was born, sounds like Islam, uh, a, a supreme being who, who actually created two angels, and there was the angel of good and the angel of evil, and they were warring, and, and the world was left, and everything became evil, and God withdrew himself and, and was looking on it, uh, and... <laughs> The whole purpose is you get asceticism, that means self-denial, you know, or as the Nigerians would do, fasting and prayer and beating yourself. Uh, that's asceticism. And think you can get close to God that way. Or you had transcendental meditation, and people were trying to meditate and think themselves. Or you had philosophy, and people were trying to work it through their minds. And so Paul is suddenly faced with, and Babylonish teachings had come in, and Paul is faced with a bunch of people who claim to know Christ and know nothing. And so, they've had an experience because someone came with the gospel, and then they jumble it all up with all their other understandings, all their philosophies, and all their teachings, and got in a mess. And a fine mess they were in. And so Paul says, right, we've got to sort this out. And he's in prison. And so he decides he's going to write an epistle and tell them what's true. And if you understand why an epistle is written and the mindset of the people to whom it's written, you will get an understanding of what's being said. There are a lot of deceptions in the world. A lot of wrong concepts. For instance, my Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship, Fellowship one with another. That's walking in the light. Uh, and, and you know, uh, it, it's amazing how people think that means you've got to have total openness. Now, if you have total openness, you're going to get your life in trouble. Why? Because if you cast your pearls before swine, they turn around you. And there's a lot of Christians that get needlessly hurt because they expose things that they should keep.
secret. And you say, well, Christ never kept a secret. Well, I'm glad you thought that, because you're wrong. In fact, Jesus was a very secretive person on occasions. Did you know that? Hello? Oh, well, let, let's just look. You know, it's just interesting. Just interesting. Uh, you know, someone said something to me. It provoked me to think. You know, I always get provoked to think when someone says something. Um, I think, that's not right. And then I look to see why it's not right. And there's a book called the Bible. And if you believe it, you remember Jesus had a trouble in John 6 when people turned to him and, they, and uh, after he said, look, God's my father. And they went about to kill him. Once, once you say, God's your father, you're going to have trouble. Once you say, God lives within you, and Christ lives in your mortal flesh, then you're going to have trouble. Because they don't mind God being in your spirit, because you can be a Gnostic and believe that. But when you said, Jesus Christ has come in your mortal flesh, then you're bringing humanity into touch with God, and people can't take that. You see, a person can meet your flesh because you've got a body. That's your flesh. And as long as you get the idea God's somewhere in your spirit, well, where's your spirit, for goodness sake? That's safe. But when you say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, in your flesh, and the Romans 8 makes it very plain, you're quickened in your mortal flesh. Then it kind of isn't so far away. Spirit realm seems far away. Flesh realm is right in front of your face, isn't it? Hello? And you see, that's where, hey, they got mad at Jesus. That's why you find the Gnostics, they like to say that Jesus wasn't human. He was a kind of um, angelic being. Uh, and he didn't really die on Calvary's tree, he couldn't die. He just swooned. Uh, and a lot of the Eastern religions say that, you know. Uh, the blood wasn't shed because angels don't have blood. Well, you know, I mean, that... People come up with all sorts of ideas. And Jesus wasn't really God, he was an angel. Now, Paul had to write them. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we, we kind of take for granted. Here, here turn back to um, John's Gospel. Um, you remember we looked at it before. When the Jews, uh, let's take chapter 7 and verse 2. Now, the Jews... Feast of tabernacles was at hand. And his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. 
The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go you up unto the feast. I will not go up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then he went also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were, how? In secret. You see, there's a lot of things that are secretive. There, you know, when Jesus went up into the mountain, he took three disciples with him. Peter, James, and John. Now, he wanted them to know. Uh, think of this. When Moses went up the mount, Joshua went with him. When Moses went into the tabernacle, Joshua went with him. They were very secretive. And the idea that he never did anything in secret when he spoke to teach the people to do miracles. But when it came to the actual thing of, let's say, uh, the woman who, the girl who was ill, he pushed everyone out. She was dead. And he was going to raise her from the dead. He shoved people out. And we've got this idea that everything's always in the open. Well, it's not. There are things that need to be in the open, and there are things that God does in secret. And Jesus was open at times and secretive at times. And if you don't understand that, you get yourself in a fix. Because... There's things that Jesus, sometimes he took the disciples aside and told them what things meant. Now, the multitude didn't hear. The Pharisees and Sadducees didn't hear. Jesus said, oh, it's only for you to know. And there were things he told to John, the apostle. And when they went to the Last Supper, it was in secret. And he told them things. And so we need to be careful. You know, it's not good to let everything hang out. You've got to be wise. There's times when you use wisdom. And there's times when you can be open. And I think very often Christians get hurt because they try and, and deal with things in an open way. And you have to understand that there are principles in God. Uh, for a long time, I was led to believe that um, Jesus always did everything openly. There, there is a scripture that says so, but then it says he did things in secret. And then I had to look and say, well, just a minute. If he did things in secret and he did things, there were times when he was open, there was times when he was secret. There was times when he spoke to one individual secretly, and there was times when he spoke to the public openly. There were times he went to the twelve. There was times he went to the three. There were times he, he kept saying to people, tell no man. Keep it quiet. Our God is a God that, you know, he has his own methods. 
And I think we, we, we in, in our culture, have been taught wrongly about God. Uh, there's mystery in God. There's things he tells you and there's things he doesn't. I, I was rung up by um, a Welshman today, or, or the Welshman rang up and I happened to, in the end, get the phone. And he was asking about end times. Do I believe in the judgment of seven years um, tribulation and all that junk? No, I said. I don't. And he said, well, what about Revelation? I said, that's your interpretation and other people's interpretation. But do you realize it comes from Greek thought and from the heresies of the Essenes? Did you know that? And he said, no. I said, that's what they believed. And they were Gnostics. And, oh. And a lot of Christian teaching today comes from Eastern religions. But it's mixed up as Christianity. And so here's Paul. And the book of the Colossians is trying to straighten people out. Now, the Western culture is immersed in wrong thinking and wrong teaching and a wrong idea. You know, there's, there's as I said uh, last week, there's this frightfully, frightfully, you know, to be a Christian, you've got to be ever so nice. Mustn't upset anyone. Um, you know, oh, praise the Lord. Glory, hallelujah. Uh, and it, it's that kind of smarmy, teeth deep kind of yuck. I want to smack them in the mouth. I can't stand that kind of thing. It's wrong. Uh, it's just not true and real. Um, it's manners of culture, but it's not true. Jesus took a whip to people. And he did not use the whip and say, please move along, please move along. He drove them out with a whip. And he kicked over the money changers' tables. The Bible says, the zeal of thine house have eaten me up. Hey, the prosperity teaching, someone needs to kick the tables over. Someone needs to get a whip to those guys because you'll notice once they were all outside, the blind, the maimed, and the hulk came into the temple and he healed them every one. That's what the Bible says. But whilst the money changers were there, no miracles happened. And no miracles, no Jesus. So I just want you to kind of think outside of your thinking. Um, think outside. Because if you think conventionally, then you'll remain with your deceptions. Strongholds are in the, of Satan are in the mind. That's in your reasonings and imaginations. And, and reasoning and imagination can tell you one thing, and God says something else. Now, you've got to side with God. Okay? Uh, you'll find Jesus went up, as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he's a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit, no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, look, everyone was 
whispering. It's amazing. People whisper for fear. Well, you know, where is he, I wonder? You know, we've heard about him. Have you, have you seen this Jesus? We don't know where he's gone. And they started chatting amongst themselves. He'd raised the dead. He'd done miracles. And they were thinking, where has he gone? Surely he's coming. <laughs> now, verse 14, in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? That really, he hadn't gone to the right school. He hadn't learned the right philosophy. And so if you go to Colossians, we'll start in chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Now, he starts off, and he wants everyone to know, first of all, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and God himself, and he starts to make it plain right at the beginning, the divinity of Christ. Because the Greek philosophy was that man could be his own savior, know thyself, and come into an idea, philosophical idea, of being able to cope with life through knowing yourself. And so immediately he comes and he wants you to know that this Jesus that came, he wasn't a transcendental meditational person. Uh, what he was, was the son of God. And God was his father. All right? We give thanks to God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, and the love to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now he talks about the word of the truth of the gospel. He doesn't talk about knowledge here. He talks because, you see, Gnosticism was so prevalent amongst the Greeks that he didn't want to use the word knowledge because they would flip over into where they thought knowledge was which was in self-knowledge and reasoning and rationality. And so he wants them to know, you know, it's faith. Faith. Now, faith is something totally different. You have faith in a person, not in a philosophy, not in understanding. You have faith in the person of Jesus Christ, who is God. God is his Father. All right? Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's not knowledge. Very dangerous when someone thinks 
that by knowledge you can know God. You can't know God by knowledge and reason. You know God by revelation, and that takes faith. And so he goes on and he explains it. And you need to get hold of this and understand it. All right? The word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth in you. Since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Now, once you hear it, you come into a knowledge of God. You don't come into a knowledge of a philosophy. You come into a knowledge of a person. And, and he says, right, once you heard it, you knew God. Uh, the whole teaching of Christianity is about God. Theology is the study of God. It's not the study of man. Now, it's amazing how most theological seminaries are full of people who have um, taken courses in anthropology, which is the study of man. But a theologian needs to understand God. Theology is the study theo, God. All right? You understand? Oh, you're a lively bunch. Hello! You understand? Okay? I mean, I'm not being complicated. This is simple. I can get complicated. Believe me, I can. Okay? And you all, as you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is, for you, a faithful minister of Christ. See, it was Epaphras who went there, and he taught them. And now he's going to visit Paul... And Paul's writing this epistle on the report of Epaphras. Hey, poor old Epaphras, he had problems. Boy, I, I, and you know, wherever I go in the world, I have problems. They're taught so badly that the moment you get there, you're having to confront error. And, and the whole purpose, you, you'll find Paul always confronted error. And people don't like that. What they want you to do is make them feel good. What they want you to do is come with a, a nice, uplifting word, no negativity. But actually, when you get to places, they're in such a mess, so devoid of light, that the first thing you have to do is knock out the darkness and turn on the light. And light manifests darkness. The first thing light does, it says in Scripture, is manifest darkness. The last thing you want to do is make people comfortable in delusion. And, and so Paul, writing to a church, he said, Well, I've got to get you off your false thinking. And, and evangelicalism is Gnosticism. They're Gnostic. They think by a philosophy and a form of words that they come to Christ. They don't. You can't meet Christ that way. Is that plain? Hello, is that plain? And so they're Gnostic. Charismatics are Gnostics. They're in the spirit. 
They were, you know. They don't understand. It's way out there. But I want to tell you something. If you're one of those, you are deceived to the uttermost. I'll show you why. Because it says so. See, the book is a light to my feet. All right? Can't go wrong. Who declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. That's the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. And immediately, Paul comes on, he talks about redemption, he talks about forgiveness of sin, and then immediately he comes on and lets you know that this Jesus who shed his blood was creator of heaven and earth. He wants you to know, and you can't praise God if you don't believe in creation. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe that God created heaven and earth in six days and on the seventh day rested. It is an essential part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, creation. And so he's speaking to the Greeks who believed in uh, these angels, lower angels that created heaven and earth. And the evil angels, everything is, is evil. The flesh is evil. The earth is evil. Everything around you is evil. And the only way you can get out of the evil is to get yourself into a spirit realm outside of yourself where you can escape the evil. So you go into meditation, you go into Buddhism, you go into Zen Buddhism, you go into Hinduism, you go into all the kind of Eastern religions. And he's saying to them, hey, that's not how it is. The creator of heaven and earth is a good God. And then he starts explaining it. All right. Um, he says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Now, he, he says, look, God didn't just create the heaven and earth and all that's in it. He said there's invisible things like angels. God created them. All right? Everything invisible, God created. Everything visible, God created. And God is a good God. Is that plain? Amen? Anyone understanding me? 
Huh. Please. Uh, then it goes on. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now, every principality, every power, every dominion was created by God for God. Is that plain? There is nothing in creation that God did not create, whether it's visible or invisible. All principalities, all powers, all dominions were created by him and for him. And so Paul's saying to the Greeks, your idea of a dualism of evil fighting good and good fighting evil and the whole of the earth becoming evil is totally false. You know, my, my hardest job is to get people to believe what Christianity really says. Hey, my God is in control. The devil never is. Do you know, if you read the Bible, you'll find the devil wasn't blamed by, by the people of old. Christians have, have, have concocted Greek philosophy and taken... Uh, traditions from Babylon and they've started making the devil something and they've read the book of the Maccabees and all that rubbish in the Apocrypha and they've made up satanic verse uh, and they've got ideas that somehow you know the devil's gonna get you if you make a mistake don't have a quiet time you can have a bad day you know you go to prayer meetings and people aren't talking to God they're talking to everyone else in the room my Bible says, if you want to pray, go into your closet, shut the door. What you pray in secret, be rewarded openly. But most people, they like to go to prayer meeting to be seen. Jesus said no. It's amazing how no one ever listens to Jesus. They have their ritual, their custom, and they want to be prayer warriors better known as God-botherers. God deliver us from the idiots. Got to change your mind. Believe what Jesus said. You know, he went up in the mountain alone to pray and commune with Father. Sent the disciples off. In fact, the disciples were so mystified about prayer, he said, Lord, Lord, can you teach us to pray? We just don't know how to do it. And it was a real short prayer he taught them. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And you know the whole of the Lord's prayer, very short. Short, sharp and quick. It's amazing how people love, think all night in prayer. Go to bed. You know, when do you expect God to take a rest? For goodness sake grow up you know it is just but it, it is kind of a, a Christian uh, thing now I believe in praying always in the sense of prayer is an attitude of relationship with God my father I'm in communion with my father because I'm a son but it's nothing to do with oh, let us all pray and you'll bow your heads Almighty God in heaven. And then you, you know, you kind of, you've got to get him distant. 
so you can pray loud and long. And then you start quoting scripture to him uh, as if he didn't know it. That's not prayer, that's performance. It's ritual, it's religion. Is that plain? Okay. If you don't like it, lump it. They were created by him, verse 16, and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, may I say this, that the devil is a fallen angel only. He's not omnipresent. He is one angel fallen. He is actually reserved in chains. With a third of the host of heaven that fell, you'll find. It tells you in scripture. And, you know, I find people want to say, the devil said this, the devil said that. No, he didn't. Go and see a psychiatrist. You're hearing voices. Grow up. You say, well, the devil came to Jesus. Yeah, that was pre-Calvary. Demons everywhere. Demon here, a demon there. Grow up. Jesus Christ overcame all the power of the enemy. We're coming on to it in the second chapter. I, I love Colossians. Paul was facing this. Everyone, they had these spirits, you know, they, 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 had, they had hierarchical kind of angelic forces. They had the names of them. And you know, they believe, the Gnostics believe that if you found out the name of the spirit, it lost its power. And then once you got its name, it couldn't do anything. And so they were always looking for a name. If they could get the name of the spirit, then they really would triumph. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things Jesus might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Look, Jesus never lacked anything. Father allowed all fullness to dwell in him. And it goes on. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him... To reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now look, reconciliation comes not only for earthly things, but for heavenly things. And my God, when he, the blood was shed, it brought reconciliation. And it goes on. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now what is the hope of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is the truth that when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, he took your sin and my sin into his own body on the tree. He became sin who knew no sin. On the third day he rose from the dead. His shed blood cleanses me from all sin. 
I'm forgiven, I'm reconciled to God, not by what I do, but by what he did for me on Calvary. All right? Goes on and makes it quite plain. If you continue in the faith and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. You know, it's Christ in my what? flesh I'm amazed how many people want to keep Christ in the spirit <laughs> you know incarnation came when God came within man God became man. but you see it was in his flesh Christ suffered in the flesh flesh paid the price it wasn't spirit paid the price. It makes it clear. Look. Verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death. You know, God is dealing with flesh. The price was paid in his body. The flesh. And yet I find everyone's got spirit, spirit, spirit. And the idea of God living in my mortal flesh is obnoxious to some people. They're, oh, no, 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 you see, my spirit becomes one spirit with God's spirit. What does that mean? No, my Bible says we have this treasure in our earthen vessel. What's your earthen vessel? Huh? Your flesh. That the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. Well, where's the excellency of the power? It's in your flesh, isn't it? Hello? Christ in my mortal flesh. Not up there. Not in your spirit, hidden away. And you know, your spirit's in your soul and, and your soul surrounds your spirit so it don't touch your flesh because your flesh is the old man and sin and you see, uh, therefore you've got to struggle between the old and the new. You've got God inside fighting to get out and you've got the flesh inside trying to choke him. Jesus has come in my mortal and when I'm a Christian, he lives in me. And it goes on. Paul explains it. He wants everyone to know this. This is a secret of Christianity that's been hid from the ages and from evangelicals. <laughs> Whereof I'm a minister. Even the mystery... Here you are, verse 26, which was hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, 
you notice that when Jesus suffered on Calvary's tree to redeem me and redemption, he suffered in the... What? He didn't suffer in the spirit. He suffered in the flesh. Redemption's a thing of the flesh. But it's amazing how everyone wants to make it spirit. Do you know when you sin, you actually sin with your human flesh? You don't sin with your spirit. When you overeat, it means that you put too much food in the hole in the front of your face. You chew it with your teeth. It's called gluttony. It's your flesh that does it. It's not your spirit. You say, well, I prayed over the food. Therefore, it's sanctified. But you still have to eat it, muttonhead. You don't kind of get in your spirit somewhere. Now, the whole thing of Christendom is kind of making everything spirit, spirit, spirit. You know, Christ comes to quicken our mortal flesh, it says in Romans 8. And I, I just want you to understand that sin is a thing of the flesh. You know, the works of the flesh are these. And it lists it. Uh, and it says, hey, but you see, Christ has come to reverse that by living in us. That's what salvation and redemption's about. Jesus has come to set us free. <laughs> but uh, we need to be free in our relationships. We need to be free. That's why the most important thing God said was, look, <laughs> if you can't love your brother who you do see, uh, and what you see in your brother, you see him in the flesh. You don't see him in his spirit. You see the flesh. Now, the flesh can often reflect what's inside. But basically, we know each other by, you recognize each other by when you see them, you recognize them. Everyone looks different. Okay? But you recognize flesh, don't you? Hello? I'm talking to myself. Are you getting what I'm saying? You know, it's the mystery. That's, Paul's writing to these people. He's saying, look, you've had enough of Gnosticism. You've had enough of this kind of Greek philosophy. You've got to understand that that going into things of Socrates and getting all philosophical about everything doesn't help anyone. The real thing is you've got to work, walk worthy of your calling. You're created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has before ordained that you should walk in them. Why? You walk in the flesh. You live in the flesh. You know, Jesus Christ came and walked amongst men. He wasn't a spirit. He wasn't an angel. He was human. 
He was God-man. Son of man, son of God. Is that plain? And when God gets inside of your flesh and quickens your mortal flesh, then when you lay hands on the sick, they recover. They recover not because of any other reason than God is in your mortal flesh. Is that plain? It's not because you pray in tongues at 200 miles an hour. It's because Jesus lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of... And we encourage people. Hey, you know, the most glorious thing is, is Jesus lives in me. I'm alive. He lives in me. Uh, and what has happened is so many Christians have adopted... Greek philosophy and the things that have come from false teaching and it's come down through the ages and you find in, in, in Paul's writing just after Christ has gone and he finds the whole of the Colossians they've all gone after Greek philosophy and they've mixed it in with Christianity and now suddenly instead of Christ divine Christ Man, Christ God. They've got this idea of the Gnostics that somehow there's this super saviour, superhuman saviour. And he's not really human at all. And, and the shed blood loses its position. And if you look at the charismatic church today, they don't want you to mention the cross. They don't want you to mention the blood. They don't want you to mention repentance. They don't want you to mention the need of the shed blood. They don't want you to mention that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. They don't want you to mention that Christ is your righteousness. They don't want to mention that Jesus lives in you, in your flesh. What they will say is, oh, everyone's in the image of God. No, they're not. Until Christ comes, you're totally reprobate. <laughs> they don't like that. Till Christ comes, you have no hope. The gospel is the gospel of hope. Christ in you, in your moral flesh. That's the gospel of hope. All right? Hello? And that is what's been hid from the ages. Paul's saying, hey, this was hid. This was what people couldn't understand. And when the Jews found out Jesus came, they said, it can't be right. He was who he was. And as soon as he said, God's my father, they sought to kill him. Wow. And then you'll find out in chapter 8, John's Gospel, chapter 8, they picked up stones to stone him. When he said, what the father spoke, that's what he spoke. What the father taught, that's what he taught. And they said, kill him, quick. And when you start teaching the gospel and telling people that the Savior has come to redeem you body, soul, and spirit, your whole being, and 
that Jesus has come to live in your mortal flesh, that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you begin to express it, people get mad at you and want to kill you. Because you're, you're, <laughs> what they say is you're making yourself like God. <laughs> but you were meant to be in the image of God. And redemption is reconciliation. And reconciliation, God is reconciling you to what should have always been in your life. Christ in you. Wonderful. You know, disease doesn't have a chance. When Christ lives in your mortal flesh, he quickens your mortal flesh. He lives in you. And hey, you can conquer things by the inside, what's in you. That power that brought Jesus out of the tomb, it says in Ephesians, is the same power that's in you and works for you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is working. You have authority. You have power. You have ability, not in yourself, but to do the work that God foreordained that you should walk in. Doing his will. And Paul makes it plain, that's what we're about. Doing the will of the Father. Get out of your philosophies into reality. Come down to earth, honey. Christ lives in you, in your mortal flesh. Oh, I'm so glad. You want to know where God is? He lives in me. And he has plenty of room. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Jesus Christ is a good God. Amen. Everything consists by him and for him. And, you know, I'm glad. There's things he keeps secret. Do you know, don't ever think that everything's open. There's things, I talk to some people and I just talk and it's private, it's secret. Not everything is open. Paul had tremendous revelation, you know. And he said he'd never declared it. Didn't tell anyone else. I find Christians, they've only got to get a bit of cheese and a funny dream and they want to tell everyone. You know, Joseph tried that, you know, he came down to breakfast. He poured out his cornflakes and he said to his brothers as he was eating his cornflakes, he said, it's probably, you know, K cereal, so slimming. But he said to his brothers, he said, hey, he said, I had this dream. And there were all these sheaves of corn, you see, and you were all bowing down to me in the middle and worshipping me. Said, And her brother said, oh, little brother, we're so glad to know that God gave you that little dream about us worshipping you. And they schemed in their minds how they could kill him. So it never happened. And you remember, 
They took him uh, 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 when he came with the food and his fancy multicolored coat, uh, and they got some blood of his sheep. And we said, "Well, we're going to bow down to you, are we?" And then they found that they could make some money by selling him off. So they sold him off, and down he went to Egypt. See, because eating his cornflakes, he just had to boast about a dream he'd had. Wasn't smart, but he learnt a good lesson. It's very often important not to tell everyone everything. I like what my dear friend Benson Ederholzer said. If you tell people everything you know, they'll be as smart as you. <laughs> Don't tell them everything. Jesus was careful who he told what to. Okay? Is that clear? Yes. You know, they, they, you can get hurt by telling people too much. I've sat on that seat there next to my wife and I've been sitting there and I've looked out at the congregation and God's spoken to me about people. And you know, sometimes he's told me things about people and I've never said a word about it. I remember one person came to me uh, to see me and he said, um, he started to talk and I said, look, I know. How do you know? God told me. When did he tell you? 12 years ago. I told him the point where God, I could remember it, clear as daylight, the moment God spoke to me. 12 years. Never said it. He said, why didn't you tell me? If you've known for 12 years, why didn't you do something about it? No, it wasn't God's time. You say, well, do you mean you just store it? Yeah. How do you remember? I don't. But God brings it back to my memory just like that. It's amazing. If God says it to me, it's there forever. You know, he's in my mortal flesh. I'm alive in him. Okay? He lives in me. He lives in you. We're created in Christ Jesus under good works. And God wants to get us out of all this philosopher, whatever it is, philosophizing. Got it. He wants to get us out of our philosophizing. Uh, you know, you can sit there and you can think, you know, I've got to sort this out. You couldn't sort out anything. You couldn't escape from a paper bag if you tried. But we have a saviour. His name is Jesus. And Christ is divine. You have divinity in your flesh. You have God in your flesh. You are a reincarnation. Christ lives in you. 
in your mortal what? Flesh. Wonderful. I think that's the most wonderful thing of all. Christ in you. Hope of glory. Amen. He suffered in the flesh. Didn't suffer in the spirit. Redemption's your flesh. The blood was shed to wash you clean. flesh. Put your hand on your chest. No, you didn't do it right. See. You know, got to do it with some diligence. Jesus lives in me. He lives in my flesh. He redeemed me. Body. Soul. Spirit. He redeemed my body. He lives in me. I have this treasure in an earthen vessel. That the excellency of the power might be of God, not of me. He lives in my flesh. I know where he is. He isn't hiding. He lives in me. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? Don't you think that's wonderful? I think that's one of the most wonderful truths ever. Do you know, this is what isn't preached anywhere. But the one thing, that they'll never preach this. They'll kill me as a heretic rather than preach this. <laughs> when, when, when Jesus said, you know, God's my father, they wanted to kill him. And it hasn't changed. Oh, you know, the flesh is evil. Oh, no, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ man. God lives in me. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? So when people touch you, they touch God. When they see you, they see the embodiment of Christ in you. Because you're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That God has before ordained that you should walk in it. In your flesh. It's important. In my mortal flesh.